Welcome to this finally recorded week's last episode. I'm all over the place with that introduction. Hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> I'm Gloria. And this uh, week, finally, after uh, technical difficulty on technical difficulty on technical difficulty on other personal things interfering with recording this, we are finally here to talk about goodbye, farewell, and amen. The last broadcast episode of mash not the last recorded that was uh the previous one uh i don't remember the name of that last week's episode but this week goodbye farewell and amen we're not going to um try and synopsize as time goes by as time goes by that was yep. the last <laughs> one we're not going to try and um give you a, a, a yeah some a summary of this week's episode it is very long it was originally slated this is on like the IMDB page somewhere to be something like 90 minutes then it got bumped to um, an hour and a half or that that is 90 minutes <laughs> then it got it was at 90 minutes then it got bumped to two hours then it got bumped to two and a half hours and that last one when there was an actual fire on the location set and they decided to just incorporate that as part of the story so um, long, long episode. It doesn't feel long, though. So, yeah. as you watch it, it does but, not feel long. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it it was huge. It attracted so much viewership across the nation. Um, let's see if I can find the stats that the wiki and IMDb had. Here we go. With approximately 125 million viewers, this overtook Dallas Whodunit to become the most watched television broadcast in American history as of 1983. 50.15 million households, or 60.2% watched, giving it Nielsen's share of 77% of people watching uh, TV that night. And I don't know if it's an urban myth or what, but I distinctly remember hearing that so many people were watching this that in major cities, when there were commercials, the water pressure would drop because there were so many people going to the bathroom, flushing toilets, washing hands, etc. So, I believe it. Uh -huh. I was probably one of them. Yeah, you know, a big episode, big big episode. Um, so I, you know, the last time we tried to record this, I kind of broke this up into, generally speaking, three acts. Um, kind of Hawkeye in the mental institute and BJ still at Mash. When um, BJ leaves and Hawkeye comes back, that's kind of where I draw the line of Act 1. And then um, Act 2 then would be that until, um, until they get back. So they bugged out. Um, they bugged out from normal site because of the brush fire, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that actually happened in real life. Uh, but I consider that act two until they get back, I think. And then when they return, act three? Act three from there on out. Yeah, generally. Because again, um, uh, not again for you listening, hi. But, um... There are, there's kind of, those are soft uh, delineations for the characters, but for me that's kind of how I break this up, um, just because... But 
there's still definite plot twists for each yeah. character. And yeah. We'll go through those. Yeah. So, um, you know, Act One, the the major plot lines I think I mentioned were Hawkeye in the in Sydney's hospital. Yep. And BJ goes home. Generally speaking, that's kind of, I think, right. And then, right. um, and then maybe you also have uh, Sun Li looking for her folks still, maybe, because that kind of plays as an undercurrent the Does whole time. Does Charles fit into t section two then? With his musicians. Yes. Um. Because that kind of happens throughout. Yeah, I think. So that's one of the soft lines. It's like, right. okay. definitely he's working with them in what I would consider Act Two. But, um, that happens like it, it starts in Act One when this rogue tank comes driving into Mash, rolls over the officer's latrine, and, and he has to go and use the ravine latrine, and is set upon by five Chinese soldiers in a motorcycle and sidecar and he thought they were going to kill him i mean he was definitely yeah. in fear for his life mm -hmm. and he also has a severe severe stomach issues yeah because Let's call it that yeah because he was trying to figure out what he was doing because it was pretty clear that the war was starting to come to an end and as part of that noise sorry I'm being distracted by other things on my desk I really need to clean um, it's clear that the war is coming to an end you know like they don't know when but it's pretty clear and so he's trying to line up what he's doing yeah, they're in talks yeah and um, uh, it's not looking good for Boston right now and that's <laughs> where he wants he wants Boston general he wants to be the yeah. head guy there Boston mercy there is no other hospital. And Margaret happens to have an Uncle Bob there. On the director's board. On the director's mm -hmm. board. That she could talk to for him if he'd like. Never really asks her. No, but she decides to help him because she's become friends with him. They have a professional respect. She knows how good of a job he does. And so she um, gets Klinger to send the, a telegram to Uncle Bob... Um, telling him, you know, Charles, great surgeon, best over here, two years here on the front, worth ten years uh, experience anywhere else, uh, you should hire him, blah, 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 and um, Charles ends up getting the job. And so he sends, starts to send a telegram back to who he thinks is responsible for him getting chief of thoracic surgery at Boston Mercy. And Klinger, who's taking the telegram, says, You're barking up the wrong tree. I beg your pardon. Major Houlihan sent her telegram to a whole other guy. What? Major Houlihan? Yeah. And, um, comes down to... He did not think that he needed the help of a nurse. Yes, and he said it that way. Mm-hmm. To get the job but um i think it's quite clear for the rest of us who were sitting there that had he not had the help of the nurse he would not have gotten the job right because um 
You know, he even mentions... Yeah, he even seems a little perturbed by the fact that mm-hmm. she helped him. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, yeah. But that's Charles. You mm-hmm. never know what's going to come out of Charles. He has mm-hmm. so much goodness that he hides that when he has this pompous part of himself... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to see the good. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate. And, you know, that, that pompous part really comes out because, like... um. He's packing, and he says, "I, the minute this war is over, I do not want to spend one more second than I have to in this infested sewer. And so he's packing, and he asks Margaret back for this book three of, um... A book series. Yeah, it, it's like poems, collected poetry. He asks for it back, and she said, well, I've grown quite attached to it, and the meaning I had for it, and he makes a comment, well, it's book three of a four-book set. Without it, it has all the allure of... I don't even remember how he said it, but it was... I, I'm just going to come up with one. All the allure of a piano without the center octave. Yeah, something like that. Just a, And um, so Margaret got snippy with him at every occasion, and he got snippy back. And it was something to the effect of, Some people... Don't know how to express gratitude. Yes, well, some people don't like some people getting into their business. I think he looks at it as, now I'll never know if I got it on my own or something. Maybe. I don't know. No, I think you're exactly right. So, I think that's why it bothers him so much. Absolutely, I completely agree with you there. Because, yeah, I... Unfortunately, it bugs Charles and I don't think it should because margaret's right you know you you help out friends and that's how she sees herself and charles and god mm. but we're missing the whole beginning or do we want to where hawkeye is in the institution he has no Mm -hmm. idea he's Mm -hmm. walking around this place going why am i here looking at the other people like well he does you know at the other people you can mm-hmm. clearly see why they're here but he didn't understand why he was there mm-hmm. until he finds out what he did well yeah and in fact you know every chance when um like the forward double seventh calls the senior staff calls to ask how he is um and he very bluntly says to pretty much each and every one of them get me out uh, right um, to Colonel Potter, it's something to the effect of, just remember, every day you leave me in here, you're losing patience. Uh-huh. So he is he is not being subtle. And past that, um, when BJ comes to visit him... Oh, it was sad. I felt so bad. He just... Badly for BJ. Because mm-hmm. he actually came to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. He got his orders to go home, yep. which weren't real. They, they know they're a mistake, but... BJ convinces everyone at MASH, you know, like, come on. Wouldn't you want to go home if you... My daughter's turning two. It's going to be her two-year birthday. Look, see little Aaron, and he's holding out these pictures. Now, it might be a mistake, but can you blame me for wanting to see Aaron? Isn't she so cute? And does anyone have an issue with me going home? No No. one did. So, So, they were going to make it happen mm, fast. So, you know, his mind is on Aaron. He goes to visit Hawkeye. He's talking about Aaron. And that sets Hawkeye off. And we don't know why. Mm-hmm. 
we we learn but you know hawkeye starts talking about you know, there's a common there's a common thread between all this you know um you know uh war and 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 shelling and shooting and and and, and baby boots you know, it's it's uh it's um it, it it's and he just kind of is going on about this and he keeps talking about this big party they had on the beach. There mm. was this great party, and then there was this bus ride home where it and was so, so much fun. And so and so and so and so. We were passing the bottle, and we were just having the best time. And you know, this is something uh, Hawkeye's state, why he's there, and how these things are setting him off. I I think whether it's it was intentional or not, I don't know the other episodes in the series where we see him having mental issues where we we see him having repressed memories that trigger a physical response walking are, in are sleep. perfect leading into this you know because um in this we we see that um that snap where he, where he has completely repressed this memory and Sydney is trying to get him to dredge it up, and he is just, his subconscious is fighting it as much as he can. Sorry if you can hear the dog in the background. Um, his subconscious is fighting it because of what happened. And um, let's just put I'm it out there. I'm fighting it, and I didn't even see it. Yeah, let, let's just put it out there. Uh, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, they're on this bus. They uh, pick up refugees. They pick up wounded GIs. And there's a Chinese patrol coming, and if they're found out, they'll all be shot. One of the refugees is a mother. She has this infant, and it's crying, and they need to be quiet. And Hawkeye goes back and says, will you keep that thing quiet? And in his mind, at first, he saw it as a chicken. Well, when he remembered it, yeah. Right, when he but, remembered it, he saw it as a chicken first. But, you know, what, did it, what actually happened? She smothered it, or snapped its neck, or whatever. Ended its life ended its life somehow so it would stop making noise and giving away their position and that's what he suppressed and it was just eating him up and Sydney says that you know you had to get it out there now that it's out in the open now we can start healing and right. um because yeah at first there were no wounded on the bus and there were wounded on the bus then there were wounded and refugees on the bus then there were wounded and refugees on the bus, and the one refugee had a chicken that wouldn't stop squawking. And something that I'll keep pointing out because I really love it is the cinematography of this. Because when Hawkeye is finally coming to this realization about this memory and that chicken, his, everything from like his nose down is in shadow, and his eyes are wide open, and they're in light, and it just really enhances the effect of him realizing what happened. It was so awful, though, mm -hmm. that I want to repress it. Yeah. So, um... It was just shot really well. Yes. Mm -hmm. And brought up, yeah. Yeah, it, it's not the most happy-go-lucky scene in the series. Right. At all. But then we find out that the reason Hawkeye was actually in there is okay. he drove his Jeep into the officer's club, yeah. ordered a double bourbon. Now, that is weird. Normally I have scotch. Yeah. <laughs> then 
he wanted to operate, but he wasn't going to use any anesthesia. So because he thought the anesthetist was trying to smother, smother the, the patient. The, oh, the patient, yeah. It was, a, it was a young kid. And then, yeah, because he was, he was trying to get Sydney to let him go, and then Sydney told him that just very calmly, and Hawkeye just stared at him and sat down and went, Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, meantime, BJ is trying to get the F out. Um, oh, that's the other plot is the, the, the tank. Yeah. But yeah, um, BJ's trying to get out. Um, there is one connection that they can make, but he has to leave in five minutes. Yeah. He has to get to Kimpo, Kimpo to, I want to say like, I don't know, Kimpo to Seoul, Seoul to Tokyo, Tokyo to maybe Midway, Midway to Guam. Guam to Honolulu, Honolulu to San, San Francisco. Francisco. Um, so he's and he just gets to what Guam? Midway, or I think. Midway, because okay. he said a third of the way home. But yeah, um, the mail arrives. This is where Charles gets his letter from Boston Mercy in in that mailbag. But the mail arrives by chopper, um, and says you know mentions that he has to be in Kimpo in twenty minutes, and so Klinger is literally on the phone. With, um, probably Sparky or somebody. Yeah, I think it was Sparky. And, um, you know, trying to get this connection. And BJ says to the pilot, like, can you give me ten minutes? And the guy says, five. So he has five minutes to pack up. Do his goodbyes. And leave MASH. He has no time to write Hawkeye goodbye. He, well, he starts to, and he can't. He's no, like, yeah. I can't. There's, there's no too words. much. There's too much, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have enough time. So he asks Margaret to. Because the, the male guy was putting his... Come on, sir. I gotta get going. Bag. Mm -hmm. I gotta make time, sir. And um, then... He, so he, he's he, off. He's off. He leaves. And that's when Hawkeye finally... Got all this out to Sydney. He's mm -hmm. on the mend. Once he's, he... he's he's outside of of Sydney's hospital, in an easy chair, with water, a pad of paper, pencil in his like uh, robe, jammies, and 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 slippers. Dear Dad, you know how I always, you always said that if I didn't keep my head on, or that my head wasn't on. Too tight? Well. <laughs> hey, Dad. You know how I always wondered what it was like to have a nervous breakdown? Well. Hey, Dad. <laughs> and so he just keeps writing these Dear Dad letters, which is, again, a nice callback. Um, which I didn't really realize until now. But Right. You know. I, I made me realize it, too. But then Sydney finally says, it's time to get you back going. Am I ready to go back? <laughs> We've done a lot of work. Get back on the horse. Yeah. Sydney, you're sending me back to the place where I cracked up? Hawk, you know. Once we help a soldier, we get him right back in the foxhole. It's the best therapy. So back you go. Mm. Send him back to MASH. He's there not too long. Um, Realize BJ's gone. Mm -hmm. And they start to get shelled. Again, because... This big tank. Yeah, the tank that 
drove over the latrine was in camp. Um, there was a mortar crew who was shelling for whatever reason. I don't know why they thought that would be effective. Mortar shells will not hurt a tank. They'll hurt the people around the tank. But the tank says war. We've yeah. learned this once That's before true. when there was a tank in camp. That's when true. When there's a tank in camp, that means war. A mash can't have a tank in... in... No, that's true. That's true. So they'll, they mm -hmm. want to get the people because it's... Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and you know what they were doing would be fire off three rounds and then move. Fire off three rounds and move. And during one of these fire off three rounds, keep in mind this is toward the end, there are people uh, surrendering from the Chinese side a lot. And so there's POWs in camp. They actually have a... Like a gate. A, a fenced-in area. Right. Yeah, with guards. And they're stuck there during the shelling. And uh, Father Mulcahy, being the guy he is, says, you know, they're defenseless. We have to do something. And um, nobody's running out to help. Father Mulcahy does. He opens up the POW pen, lets them all out. A shell hits. And uh, knocks him back on his tuchus. And... Mild concussion. Mm-hmm. At first, that's the diagnosis. Um, but again, I, I want to point out the cinematography. Because you remember what it looked like when he was getting carried off to get... Yes, yeah, so it was like he was... I, in my mind, it was like how they would have carried Jesus off the cross. Mm -hmm. That's what I pictured in my head. Mm -hmm. And I think that was intentional where... Um, like you know, he's flat on his back, and there's like six guys who end up grabbing one on each shoulder, one about at his belt, and probably one at like the knees, and mm -hmm. they lift, and they're carrying him, and yeah, his arms are just splayed out, right? because they're not actually grabbing the shoulder, they're grabbing, um, more like, uh, uh, at the collar, right? you know, at the back of the collar, so his head basically, kind of bumps. yeah, his head lolls back, his arms are out, very much like in a cross-like shape. Yes. And the shot is tight. It's tight enough where you see the legs of the people carrying him, but nothing else of their bodies. But you see all of uh, Mulcahy's head, shoulders, arms, and some down his torso. And it is that very, yeah, Christ off the cross gesture, which goes to, um, really, he sacrificed. You know, it, it, it was a right. sacrificial thing that he did he didn't know if he would get hurt or not but he was willing to sacrifice himself to, to help these, these others these people he didn't know and our enemies mm -hmm. you know so-called enemies yeah and he does end up losing something his hearing mm-hmm and um yeah it, it's just such a striking shot for me because it, it's so very mulcahy you know, it's so just entirely him. That that's right. who he is. But then, is. what happens? How does it stop? Because at this uh, moment, the shelling. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. Hmm. Go ahead. Okay. So yeah. The guy loses it again. <laughs> hmm? I think he kind of lost it again, or else. Hawk. Yeah. Eh, I you know he, all he the screws might not have been tight, but um. <laughs> Yeah, so... It made the most sense. He's back. They're getting shelled. Well, okay, he's a little deaf from the shelling, which is kind of interesting because during this shelling where they just don't stop, they just keep going, uh, Charles says, What happened? I thought we had a system. And then Mulcahy, sitting right next to him, goes, 
I thought we had a system of three <laughs> rounds and then they quit. Yes, <laughs> Charles says. But then Hawkeye finally um, goes, Well, all right. Time to do something intelligent. And since I seem to be the only one standing, all those in favor of me, say aye. <laughs> Potter goes, Pierce, sit down. Nope, I can't. Or was it like, take a seat? Nope, I can't take a seat. I can, I can take, take umbrage. I can take blah. He goes on to that yeah. tirade again. We've heard it before. Uh, see previous episodes. Yes. <laughs> but um, he runs out, gets in the tank. I was I, impressed that he knew how to drive a tank. Mm-hmm. Well, uh-huh. if Frank can figure it out. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but Frank couldn't stop it. He drove it right to the garbage dump. He stopped it, mm-hmm. got out. So and the garbage bump dump was far enough away. We established yeah. that because you could see mm-hmm. him yeah. for quite a while. Yep, it's outside of camp. So even if they keep shelling, it's only going to hit garbage. It's, right, it's going to be fine. A few things to point out about the tank because huh. it's worth pointing out. And this is where Chris ruins it for us. I'm <laughs> sorry, I have to because when the tank rolled in, I looked at it and said, "You know what? I don't recognize that tank." I was trying to figure out what tank that was. Because it would have been, like, basically a World War II tank. Um, so uh, that limits what it could be. But then when Hawkeye drives it out, it is very clearly an American Sherman. A Sherman tank. That was the mainstay of the ally of the American forces in World War II. We, we mass-produced them. That's how we beat the Germans in tank-to-tank warfare. We could just make more of them quicker. Um, but what was driven into camp was an M24 Chaffee light tank. What was driven out of camp is a Sherman tank. I would have never noticed, ever, ever, ever have noticed that. Yeah, they're close, but they're not exactly the same. Uh, the other thing, when Hawkeye drives the tank out, once he drives it into the garbage dump, he pops out of the commander's hatch on top of the turret. (laughs) Now, from the time it stopped to when he pops out was not enough time for him to have been in the driver's seat, which is in the front left, because that's where the driver pops out when it's first driven in, is the driver's seat. It's it's front left. As far as I know, it's open inside, but from the time when he drove it into the garbage dump and then popped out of the top, there wouldn't have been enough time for him to get from the driver's seat to out of the top of the turret. So therefore, he must have been in the commander's seat the whole time, which means somebody else was driving. Thank you, whoever you were. And so. if you want to call and talk to us, <laughs> there's that narclaning thing yeah. coming up. <laughs> so it's just little inaccuracies, but, you know, not big ones. Just kind of, eh. Fun. They could have been, they could have done better with that. But, yeah, at that point, um... Right about there is where I would really call the end of Act 1 in that area. Because mm-hmm. we're going to very quickly be leaving the 4077th... Uh, Bug out! Yeah. But before that, uh, Potter does put in a call to Sydney because he says maybe Hawkeye didn't have all of his screws tied after all. Which, by the way, if they call Sydney then... We know that it's a few days between there and when they leave their main camp. And then we know it's a few days at least between 
when they arrive at the new place and Sydney arrives. So Sydney doesn't get to Hawkeye <laughs> for probably the better part of the week, I'm saying. Hmm. If a guy's falling apart again, you might want to get to him quicker. Yeah, because usually they called Sydney and he was there in a day. Yeah, that's what I'm that's saying. That's the way it used to be. Yeah. Um, I understand. But they looked up, the reason that they had to bug out is they looked up, saw this beautiful sky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Colonel Potter said, I've only seen a sky like that one other time well, in my life. Now, before that, remember, oh. Clinger's the one who says, look yes. at that beautiful sky. It's a beautiful end to a beautiful day. And Potter says it would be beautiful if it was in the West. Oh, yeah. That's, what That's said. important. Yes, that is. Because as long as you understand how the earth turns, the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, no matter where you are. Unless you're at the north or south pole, then it just stays yeah. up or doesn't appear yeah. for a while. But um, that's when Potter says... That he's seen a sky like that before, and it was a major fire. Mm-hmm. I saw that when I was in the Ardennes one night. The next morning, there was no forest left. Get on the horn and see if the somebody set fire to the forest. Sure enough, they did. Bug out. Bug out, which, okay. Another little inaccuracy. They reused bug out footage from... Where is it? Uh... It's in the notes here somewhere. Sorry, I'm trying to find it. Quickly finding it. Uh, anyway, it was from a previous season. Because radar's in the background. <laughs> yeah. It's reused footage. Uh, when they bug out a different time. And yeah, that's, that's the major giveaway. I didn't need that, but it was, um... Oh, bug out. It was literally called bug out. 1976. It's very clear because all the same guys are folding up the tents the same way. You know, mm -hmm. like the mess tent, they throw the side or the the guys run out with the poles from the mm -hmm. end, and then they flap over the sides of the tent and yeah. But reused footage, bug out, arrive at the new camp, set up camp. Um. They have well. As they're setting up, a chopper's coming in, and Klinger says, that's supposed to be our new surgeon, our replacement. Guess who's back? Mm-hmm. And off steps BJ. Oh, he was so close. Mm -hmm. I was in Guam. They canceled all flights out. Guy comes over to me, says, you BJ Honeycut the doctor? And I said, didn't nope. like the sound of that, so I said, no, buddy. I'm BJ Honeycut the chaplain. He says, well, you better start praying real hard, chaplain, because you're going back to Korea to do surgery. <laughs> uh, very quickly, Hawkeye is there. And they have a little, almost a lover's quarrel in a way. Yeah, it does. It yeah. looked that way. Um, Hawkeye basically says, you know, you could have said goodbye. And BJ said, I couldn't. I didn't have enough time. And such and so. Something BJ did do, though, that never can, got to Hawkeye, I don't think. He mm. said, Margaret, please tell Hawkeye goodbye. Yeah. But you never see that happen. So. Yeah. I, I think 
There probably wasn't enough time, okay. I'm guessing. Or they probably cut that scene or something because... I, I just think there wasn't enough time because, I mean, basically Hawkeye gets back and he's right in it, right, I think. Right, exactly. You know? Because then there's war everywhere. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're scrapping over every last inch. Um, right. Try and grab land. And especially after they get to the new location, they're not there long. And, uh, well, I'm sorry. First, first they're there. And they have a little party for the orphans. To try and help lift their spirits. This is after BJ gets back, right? Mm-hmm. And they find, uh, Kim. Who they think is around two. Because that's apparently how old, uh, Aaron should be. Doesn't work out if you do the math, but we'll, we'll say it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they say that this should be someone who's about the same age as Aaron. Hawkeye can't really take that, so he kind of leaves, excuses himself, and um, then at that point, uh, runs into Sydney and he's talking to Sydney. They're just chatting, and Sydney pretty much stays there until they get back to the main location. Well, I just want to say one thing during that party. Mm-hmm. My little thing that I noticed yeah. is they were wearing sundresses. The girls were. Oh, yeah. And they were definitely sundresses from the 70s. Okay. I lived the 70s. Yeah. They were the ties on the top. They mm-hmm. were not around in the 50s. Fair enough. Okay. So, yeah. No, it, we know that there are inaccuracies. And they're pretty good about their clothes, I mm. think. But, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um... But then we're there. Um, something else that happens before they left, before they bugged out, Charles was working with the musicians right. on Mozart. He was trying to get this motley crew of a um, a guy with a cymbal and a triangle, another guy with like a flute, another guy uh, with an. Erhu. Erhu, yeah. That was a Chinese instrument. It's a two-stringed instrument where it has a bow like a violin, but the the string of the bow actually is between the strings of the instrument. So if you pull out and and pull on the bow, you play the outer string. If you push in, you play the inner string. So you're constantly going. But I think he had a special connection with the one that played the Erhu because... Um, when they started to play at the beginning, they were playing in, just nonsensical music, and he's like, doesn't anyone know Mozart? I thought I was the violinist. Oh, and it was the violinist, yeah. yes. Sorry. And then the violinist uh, just started to play a uh, Mozart song. So anyway, also, that's when he realized, I can't, oh, sorry. I can get these men to play my music. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching them El Dante and, um, or whatever the words are. I don't know. Music terms. Forte. Forte. Dolce. Dolce is what I was thinking of. Dolce. Dolce. I wanted to yell. Sweetly. Yes. He wants them to play powerfully. Loudly, forte, fortissimo, and 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 sweetly, and dulce. Doing a wonderful job, actually. He's getting them yeah. play well for the instruments that you have. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then you know they they're taken to the new site, the bug out site, and then there they're loaded onto a truck 
to be taken to a central place because when when it's all over um, they're gonna do a, a prisoner swap theirs for ours and they need them all in one place to make it easier um, Charles tries to get them to stay doesn't isn't able to and as the truck takes off the musicians start playing they start with Mozart and they end up going into like one of their songs uh, that they know and then over the PA yeah but over the PA we hear this just in folks who's from uh, oh god now I can't remember the place where where the peace talks were mm-hmm I want to say Pyongyang but that's not right anyway um, comes over this just in the armistice has been signed. It'll take effect at midnight tonight. The war is, is over. over! The war is over! And everybody starts, like, celebrating. And uh, Father comes out. He doesn't know what's going on. He couldn't hear it. Somebody yells at him. And they're all doing, like, a conga line. And, and then as that's happening, then the wounded roll in. Uh, buses come in. Ambulance comes in. And, um... They had also gotten word that they need to get back to their old site because now for the next, like, whatever it was, 12 hours, the armies are just going to be going as hard as they can to literally as grab much time as you, or, every inch of, right. literally every inch of dirt. Um, so they need them back closer to the front. Um, okay, he's going through, you know, anyone we can... Uh, wait on we do anybody who has to be operated on do it quick we got to get back and they do it's all just a charred burned skeleton of their camp they very quickly get set up going to OR they're operating and as they do we hear over uh, the PA uh, statistics about the war so far which are not accurate for the end of the war but they're, they're impactful numbers nonetheless. But then Charles goes out to do triage. And... The truck was hit by mortar. Mm-hmm. What truck? That truck with the POWs on it. Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese. And all of the musicians... Musicians... Sorry, can't get it out. Um, were killed. And mm -hmm. the ones, Charles just looked up. It was the violinist. He made it to the four double seventh, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the only one that made it this far. Mm-hmm. And Charles just is taken aback because there's nothing they can do. But again, another great shot mm -hmm. when you see their faces connect. When mm. you see Charles look into his eyes, as he clearly. I would say the corpse's eyes at that point, corpse's but yeah, eyes. yeah, yeah. You know, um, and you know he he is very detached at first when he's doing the initial assessment, and then he looks up and yeah, no, God no. He wasn't a soldier. He was a musician. Mm-hmm. And Kelly is trying to get him to you know either do something or move on. Major, we've got this for now. Why don't you go take a few minutes? No. 
No, sorry. Again. So he does. <laughs> he goes to the swamp. Oh, yeah. In his scrubs. And this is another great piece of cinematography, I think. Um, you see this shot right from, like, his chest to his knees through the screen of the, of the swamp where they have the record player. And he puts on Mozart, and with a bloody hand, he puts on the needle and starts it playing and sits down next to it so that he's completely in shot. And it's playing, and you can see him kind of start to relax to it, and then he realizes what he's listening to, and he takes the needle and just scratches it across the record. Grabs the record and just smashes it. And it's... To me, it's this beautiful juxtaposition of Mozart, where he always found this solace, which he mentions. Um, this very aristocratic, very um, civil Mozart playing. And then, as the visual, we don't see civilization. We see um, surgery scrubs, the white with red, his hand is half covered in blood. It's a very brutal image. But here you have this very soothing, melodic sound underneath this very, in my opinion, brutal image. And I just love how that stacks um, diametrically opposed. But yeah, that's Charles. Um, I think that gives him some perspective on things. You know. Uh, are we in part three then? I don't know. Oh, okay. This time, this time around, I haven't really. Because something really cool that happens after they yell the war is over mm -hmm. is Colonel Potter wants to hear everyone's stories, and you got yeah. to hear the stories from Igor and from people. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't just go to the officers; he goes mm -hmm. to everyone, and everyone's mm -hmm. in the mess tent, and they're all telling their stories and where they're going when they get home and. So I'll, I'll add on to that, and then I want to back up. Okay. More than that, we do hear from everyone, and it's not main cast. Right. This it was is all the... Yeah, all the extras who have been on forever. Right. And Zale. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Kelly starts, which is perfect, in my opinion, because she's... Mm -hmm. I mean, after Hawkeye and Margaret, I... And, you know, the other main cast, I bet she's been on the next most. I believe so. Because I know that she was in season one she wasn't mm -hmm. nurse kelly but she was there she was there um she but then probably nurse abel yeah like and everyone baker. else or baker <laughs> um but backing up just a minute um during this whole period we have soon lee and klinger oh, yeah. who are a thing um klinger realizes at some point he doesn't want to be without her you know at first she's just trying to find her folks and uh at one point he tracks her down at a, a refugee center there was there was a city where she knew that her parents had been because a refugee woman came in with her mother's shawl and they had just come from there but the city kept switching hands she's going there to try and track down her folks and Klinger just finds her and says you can't I can't live without you you have to come back with me you have to stay safe well then he finds her out in the village near the 477th and he brings uh, one of his he brings one of his dresses. It's a wedding dress. 
white wedding dress. Yeah, and says, I want you to wear this. Funeral dress? You want me to wear a funeral dress? No, you see, in where I come from, white is for weddings. And she's very excited about this. She says, yes. But then she also says, I have to find my parents. I can't leave until I do. And um, this is this is a problem for Klinger, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But what that also leads to is, once they're back at the Double Seventh, he's talking to Colonel Potter during a break. And says, Colonel, I need to ask you something. Well, I've got to go back in there in five minutes, so out with it I have a question about women sir oh, oh yeah. what I everything I know about women is going to take a lot less than five minutes but he says um Klinger asks you know I'm in love but now I'm in trouble what do I do and and Potter basically says in my experience when you're in love you can do two things you can either leave them or love them a whole lot more and Klinger says, but if you love him a whole lot more, doesn't that get you a whole lot more trouble? Sure does. Then you have to love him a whole lot, a lot more. more. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Thought and, that was cool. Yeah. And uh, so Klinger decides that he'll stay in Korea with Soon Lee, get married to her, and, and stay there until she finds her folks. Which obviously she must because in Aftermath, they're there. Klinger's in it and Soon Lee's in it. I know this. So, um, she must find him. But, uh, at the last supper that they have, Klinger, when it's Klinger's turn, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm staying in, in, in Korea. Korea. Everyone bursts out laughing. <laughs> yeah, I love Hawkeye's line. Klinger, you can stop pretending. We're all going home. <laughs> but... You know, the next morning, Klinger gets married. He goes off in a cart. And then the camp just kind of folds. Um, the nurses go off in an ambulance. Um, Margaret hops in a jeep, but then BJ, or um, Winchester comes and says, that's my seat. No, okay, and I'm sorry, before we go through this, I know I started this conversation, but <laughs> is there anything else? Because well, I just this have is the end. They, they actually got married. Um, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think we said that. Yeah. Yep, okay. this is the end. Yeah, so this is it. This is leading into the end, so yeah. Because then comes one of my favorite lines of all of Mass. <laughs> when Hawkeye and Margaret kiss, there aren't any words spoken. No, that's not uh, my favorite. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. So yeah, uh, Margaret's in a Jeep with all her stuff, and Charles is there, and Zale, or Rizzo is like, here's your Jeep, Major. <laughs> that is no room. And Margaret starts taking out her stuff, and... Charles makes the comment, no, no, you stay with your possessions, Margaret. The way the army works, if you part from them, you shall never see them again. I'll find a ride. Mm -hmm. So then she sa looks at BJ and she says, I hope, she said, I hope someday I find someone just like you. And well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did I say it wrong? Well, it's just that Charles talks to her first. Does he? Yeah. What does he say? You know, Margaret, actually... Oh, yes, he gives her... My oh. thing... I actually have one too many things. And um, I was hoping you could take this with you. And it's the book that he asked back from her. 
the number three in a series. Mm. Which, the really neat part about that, this is in the online notes, and I'll include this in, in our show notes. Uh, I found a, a YouTube video of Loretta Sweat explaining this, so this is real. Um, David Ogden Steers was habitually hard to get in touch with. They usually had to go through like his agent or manager to get in touch with him. Nobody had his phone number. When he gives the book to Margaret, it has his phone number in it. So Loretta Switz's reaction is real because David Ogden Steers had really given her his phone number so she could get in touch with him. That so, was cool. Yeah, but he gave her the book, and then the captains and the colonel come over. And, and she says, I hope someday I find someone just like you. And BJ replied to that, me too. You deserve the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Oh, I yeah. love that line. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that Potter says to her I can't remember. I think it's to the effect of, I'm glad that you have your life in order, Margaret, but make sure that while you're living, or while you have your life planned out, you have some time to live it, too. <coughs> something to that extent. doing what she wants to do, not mm-hmm. what her father wants her to do. Yeah. Throughout, we forgot to mention, too, yeah. that when BJ came back, Hawkeye continually tried to get him to say goodbye, and he mm-hmm. said things like, see you later, or mm-hmm. he would not say goodbye. Yeah. He said, we'll be in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you want to tell him the ending? Between BJ and Hawkeye? Yeah. There's a lot between where we are and that. There is? Oh, okay. Go ahead. That's my last end of my notes. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. What else is next? Charles hasn't left yet. Oh, yeah. Potter he... hasn't left yet. Oh, yeah. Charles. And something I, re- I, I just on... remembered um, that I really liked during the Last Supper was Bigelow. And I just want to remind okay. everybody of that. Do you remember what Bigelow says when it's her turn? She, when it's her turn to speak... Um, because, like you said, everybody's telling what they're going to do. Rizzo is going to start a frog farm. Yeah. Uh, Igor's going to raise pigs. Uh, Goldman doesn't know what he's going to do. Kelly's going to be a nurse in Honolulu so she can be close to her family. Bigelow gets up and it's quiet. It, it's just really well shot and, and directed her bit. But she says, you know, I was a nurse at the end of World War Two. And now, this one. I've just had enough. I've had it. I've just had it. I think that's a very powerful message that some people were in multiple wars. Potter's another one, and it's just like, they saw enough. Right. They were done. And I can't blame them, because a few of the other nurses said, I'm going to stay nursing, but I want to be in, like... Child. I want to be in the neonatal unit yeah i want to see life come into this world rather than leave but um anyway so yeah um bj makes a comment to margaret potter gives her advice her and hawkeye are there they go well well 38 seconds somebody timed it 38 second long kiss where uh bj charles and potter look distinctly uh, uncomfortable watching this and um then margaret ends up driving off 
Rizzo finds Charles the only other mode of transportation out that he can. It's but a he says garbage it, truck. It, it, it's fitting. It's a fitting ride. Because mm-hmm. I'm leaving this Dumb. garbage heap. Yeah. Be careful, Major, when you're getting up here. There's gunk on them running boards. But Charles leaves very dignified. You know, he has that, that Charles air about him that allows him to leave with his head up. Um, Potter hops on Sophie. And rides off, which, by the way, apparently, it's very clear, I wasn't looking for this, but it's very clear as Sophie is riding off that Sophie is not a mare, but a stallion. <laughs> uh, but... You know, the, the captains give him something that they don't give out very freely. And what is that? A uh, salute. Yep. They salute him. He goes off to drop off Sophie at the orphanage so that they can use her to plow the fields, to give the kids rides, that sort of thing, to help the orphans. And then uh, BJ is going to ride his new bike out of camp. Hawkeye's going to take a chopper. And uh, BJ gives Hawkeye a ride up to the pad. And this is, again, a great a great shot that I love at the pad. BJ and Hawkeye talking. And um, it's one that I can really relate to. Because it's this genuine moment between these two guys. There's nobody else around, so it's acceptable for them to talk feelings to each other. Because there's no one else around <laughs> to hear it. But they're talking, and... Um, I think it's BJ who says, I don't know what I would have done without you. I'm glad I found you. And Hawkeye says something similar. And, um, you know, they, they're really good friends. And they needed the, each other. They helped each other. They were mm-hmm. there for each other. In a, in a heterosexual way. But, you know, I, I think they got as close as, as two heterosexual men could have in that situation. I mean, they didn't take showers together for days, and they played practical jokes. Everything. Yeah, everything. Were, I mean, they lived together. They mm-hmm. ate together. They mm-hmm. showered they, together. Yeah. To to use a phrase that Trapper used in the series, they were through thick and thick. Thick and thick. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they they hug. They're crying. Well, and um. Hawkeye keeps trying to get BJ to say goodbye because, you know, he realizes he's on the East Coast, BJ's on the West Coast. It's going to be hard to see each other again. And up until now, BJ just has refused delivery of that. But then Hawkeye gets in the chopper. Uh, Everybody had grabbed their sign off of the signpost in MASH, and BJ holds up Mill Valley, or San Francisco. It was San San Francisco. Francisco. And uh, he hoists it and says, I'll see you back in the States. But just in case, I left you a note. And then he takes off on his bike, goes down the hill. Hawkeye takes off, and as he gets just high enough up... You can see goodbye. Written in rocks. In rocks. That had to take so much time. Mm-hmm. But it was it was typical mash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about that, it's like... Like you say, it took effort, so it wasn't just a thing. It wasn't he easy. He about it. hmm I think that's what really hit Hawkeye, because he smiled and he knew it, and... Um... It, it, it meant something. Yes. More than just goodbye to him, which is nice. But it, it's the goodbye that we know. It's the goodbye that's on the back 
of the DVD menu. And that's it. That's um as as we were told at the beginning of the pilot, Korea, a thousand years. So for that, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Farewell. And, and amen. Amen. No. I I'm dry, but that deserves them. <laughs> yeah. Um so that's that's it for us reviewing the series. We're gonna do a top ten show. Uh, our top ten from the series. You keep going back and forth, and I haven't looked yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll figure that one out soon. But you know, our top ten episodes uh, from all two hundred and fifty-six. What what do we think were our top ten? If you have an opinion on that, you can add your voice to ours before we record that. Just head over to um, our Facebook, facebook.com slash mash, or you can email us at the podcast uh, at narclanic.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Go to the podcast link. Go to the Whiskey and Mash page. There on the page is a link over to our Facebook as well as an email link. If you are listening to us in the future, because... Um, like I say, this is it. This is the end of the series. We will do Aftermash, but that's only two seasons, I think. So that's a limited run. But our episodes aren't going away. They're going to live out on Apple Podcasts, on your favorite podcast application, on Stitcher, and on our webpage as MP3s that you can download or listen to right from the website at your leisure. Uh, if you are from the future, thank you for tuning in, future people. If you feel, uh, whether you're... Uh, a returning listener or a new listener, if you feel that this was a podcast worth supporting, the best way you can do that is by sharing it, especially just like the the website, because we'll after we do Aftermash, we'll pick up something else, because I just like having a set time to watch older TV shows with a beverage on Sundays. Um, but uh, share our podcast, our, our NarClan podcasts, with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, someone who you think would enjoy listening to us and our opinions. And join with us on Facebook and contribute your opinion on things over there. Tell us what you think uh, about the episode that we may be considering, whether we were right, whether we were wrong, whether we made a factual error, or just in general your opinion on it. We would love to hear it. Yeah, well, it's been a great run. Yeah. Thanks um, for doing all the work, Chris. <laughs> Two and a half years about, right? So uh, Happy Whiskey and Mash yeah. again. We'll see you next week for Top Ten, and then the week following we will start after Mash. Okay. Have a good one, everyone. This is where the outro goes. Two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That might come over the, um, there we go. Mute the TV, then it won't echo for people. Have a great week. Bye, everyone. Bye.